Let's uh, turn again to his word and we're in Revelation chapter 8 and I'm going to read this time from verses 6 to 12. Revelation chapter 8 verse 6 to 12. Now the seven angels who have the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. And likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your words and an initial glance and we think, what is happening here? But Lord, we know that this part of your word is your inspired word to us. You wrote it. These are the very words of God. And you put them in your word so that we could read them, hear them, and we might learn from them. And so Lord, we pray this morning, teach us through your Spirit. And as I speak, I pray, give me the words. And as the words fall on this congregation, I pray that you would give us all open hearts that are teachable. Teach us through your Spirit. We can't do this without you, we pray. Amen. If you turn on the news you're bound to hear something about the environment some stage. Um, there's a great concern in the world, right over the world, about global warming and, the, and this great environmental um, concern about what's happening to the world around us. And concern is justified because fallen man has failed in our responsibility to look after the world as we should and to care for it because it's God's creation. And yet... The concern for the environment has also gone further than just a concern for health and safety. It's become an issue of idolatry as people worship Mother Nature, as they try to protect and perpetuate the earth. And so yes, we're hearing the concern and yes, as believers we need to respond and we need to be responsible and even if it is in the use of plastic bags, that's what we must do. Because we have got an earth to look after. God has given it to us. He said that to Adam. 
But we mustn't go too far. No, it isn't Mother Nature. It is Father God who made it. And Mother Nature's got nothing to do with Him. And there seems to be more of a concern today for preserving dotterels on some sandbar out in the Tasman Sea from rising sea levels than there is for looking after unborn children around us. I've got that off myself now. Now I can get on with Revelation. You see, it's all about the same thing that God is going to speak about here. Idolatry. And moral values that have been skewed and warped. You see, when we look at a passage like the one in front of us this morning, we, we see that the damage man has done and still will do will pale into insignificance when it comes to what the Creator of this very same earth will do on, to His creation because of His judgment. He will utterly devastate the earth by fire. And I'm sorry for those dotterels, but there's a bigger picture here. Second Peter says he will devastate this earth by fire. In other words, he will uncreate it. And then, once he's uncreated, he will recreate the new heavens and the new earth, according to Revelation chapter 21. There's the bigger picture. If only the world would take note of the bigger picture. Because behind this bigger picture they would see a God of judgment who is also a God of love, who reaches out to them while there is time and says, come to me before I judge. Mercy, judgment, always together. And so if you're an unbeliever here today, I plead with you, right at the beginning of the sermon, come to Jesus Christ while there is still time, before He becomes the judge. Come to Him. There is time. You see, this judgment that has already started on the earth will intensify, and that's what this picture is about today, until the ultimate day of the Lord. And we'll still hear about that as we go through our studies. Now, before we get into the specific passage, just three reminders again about the book of Revelation. And we need to keep reminding ourselves about these things, otherwise we lose track of where we are. It's apocalyptic writing. So the pictures we're going to come across today are pictures of apocalypse. Don't see them in all their little details. See the big picture. What is God saying with a big picture? So we have in these seals that have been opened and now with the trumpets that are being blown and then later with bowls of wrath that are poured out, we're going to see same events or group of events that are repeated but we see them from different angles every time. It's not a linear record of history. If you try and see Revelation as a linear record of history, you're going to get utterly confused and you're going to have to adapt your theology amazingly. But we see the same groups of judgments running in groups of seven. These events are synced together. And John just looks at groups of Judgments happening over and over, just a different picture every time. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 6 verse 12. I'm going to give you just an example of how these same events are repeated just in a different way. 
And it's just one little instance. We're going to come across quite a bit today. And you'd better get ready with your fingers in your Bible. We're going to be all over from Exodus, Jeremiah, Isaiah, everywhere today. So I hope you're ready for this. Revelation chapter 6. Look at what he says. Just one instance. Verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Alright, so that's one camera. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. One example. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the night might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Sorry, the day and then the night. Okay, you got it. Now, just take away the thirds. We'll get to that. We've got those same elements. Sun, moon, stars, no light or a bit of light. Just repetitions of it. We're going to see quite a lot of that coming up. So when we come to the seals open, the trumpets blow and the bowls of wrath, each is just a vision or a different camera angle which focuses on a different aspect of God's judgment. God wants to give us a full picture of His judgment. As much as is necessary for us as human beings. Another example, the first five seals. The focus on the first five seals was the judgment of unbelievers, but it was also the refinement on believers through suffering. So that was the focus of the first five seals. Whereas the description of the trumpets that we're looking at this morning focuses specifically on the effect of the judgment on unbelievers. So that's the focus this morning. What's going to happen to unbelievers when God judges? So you need to see those different perspectives second comment I'd like to make is this. When we look at the seals, the trumpets and the bowls, they reveal to us an increasing intensity in God's judgment. Every time we look at a new group, we've looked at the seals being opened. We're kind of still under the seventh seal. Alright? So don't get confused now. But now we've moved to the trumpets being blown. It's another group of seven judgments. But there's more intensity now. And when we get to the bowls of judgment which will be poured out, there will be full intensity there. So there's increasing intensity as we move through these different descriptions of God's judgment. Until we get to God's final judgment described, and there we get that described in the sixth and seventh seals which we've already kind of looked at, the seventh trumpet which we'll get to, and also the seventh bowl of judgment. Those are all the day of judgment described. All right? You still with me? Kind of. All right. Third comment, I push on regardless. Here's just a general pattern that we pick up in Revelation. We see this repeated Old Testament pattern of destructive judgment and then comes a kingly peace. So remember that right through the book of Revelation you're going to see judgment, but God reigns. Judgment, but God reigns. And in the end, massive judgment, but, last chapter, God reigns and we are with Him. So don't lose your courage. That's the general theme of Revelation. Alright. Now let's get to verses 1 and 2. Dave 
uh, looked at those with us last week. And just to recap, the silence that we spoke about in verse 1. We've got this massive, overwhelming sound of praise. Remember just before that, this, this big crowd that was, which no man could number. And they were shouting God's praises and the angelic voices join in and all the ones in front of the throne. And so there's this overwhelming sound of praise. And then, silence. Imagine the impact. Those of you who have been to Philharmonic orchestras, I know it's old-fashioned to go to an orchestra and listen to them. I used to be forced to go by my parents. And it was good. Now I appreciate classical music too. I didn't then. I used to open sweet paper packets in the middle of things. Quiet bits. Um, but in a philharmonic orchestra piece, in a classical piece of music, you'll have this building up, a crescendo, and then silence, and then the trumpets blare out, and it's the final. It's used for intensification, for emphasis. And God does the same thing here. He does it right through the Bible. Joshua chapter 6, you didn't think we'd get there today. Destruction of Jericho. What happens there? People are told to march around the city. Alright? How are they to march around the city? In silence. You Baptists wouldn't have worked there. (laughs) But they were told to march around in silence and then on the last time around when they'd marched around in silence, There was a great blaring of trumpets and judgment came on that city and the walls fell flat. Same themes. Look at the whole New Testament and Old Testament history. I'm looking at wide this morning, alright? We have the nation of Israel, God working through His people. They listen, they don't listen. They listen, they don't listen. This whole repetition and this intensification right up to the book of Malachi and then what? Silence for 400 years. And then, the Messiah, trumpets, angels. No new theme here. So there's a theme to all these things that happen. It doesn't just happen there. God didn't just take a rest break. Silence is a major thing that God uses. So we've got Joshua. And there's a great, um, there's a great um, parallel here between Joshua chapter 6 and that whole story of Jer- Jericho and what happens here in this, trumpet, in, this, in this chapter specifically. And any Jewish person listening to this letter from the Apostle John would have immediately recognized Jericho. When they heard seven trumpets, seven angels, they would have known Jericho. Now we don't because we're not Jewish. We haven't had all this training. We haven't been brought up in it. So we really need to sharpen up on it. But they would have immediately seen Jericho. What did God do at Jericho? There were seven angels, uh, seven priests there who blew seven trumpets. Here we have seven angels blowing seven trumpets. Judgment's about to break out. Alright? You need to um, connect these things together. Now we get to our first trumpet after all that. With that background. Let's look at verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. So what's affected here, basically? The land is affected. We're going to see this now. The land, the sea, the heavens, mankind. The land is affected here. Hail comes down, and hail that people have never seen before. Giant hail comes down with fire, mixed 
with blood. Now, we're not told, is this the, the blood of animals and humans affected by this hail that's falling? Or is it, just, is it just blood that comes down with the hail? Or is it just the color of the hail and the fire mix? We're not told. And it doesn't matter. Why? Because there's a bigger picture here. See the, big, see the picture in your mind. Giant hailstones, fire, and somehow there's blood. See the picture in your mind's eye. Judgment. Hail, fire. Those things were always associated with judgment, right through the Old Testament. And then it was thrown to earth, unexpectedly, as Dave's pointed out to us last week, with great force this was brought on the earth. No one expected this. And there comes God's judgment. And a third of the earth is burned. The soil becomes unusable. They can't grow crops anymore. A third of the trees are burnt. No more construction, uh, construction can happen with buildings because that's what they used to use. Lots of trees were stripped in, in the land. All the brief, green grass was burnt. Pasture animals. What do they have to eat? You see what's happening here? The land is affected by God's judgment. In other words, economic impact and survival of mankind is affected. Now, please, I've said this before, this is not, to me, not meant to be a pedantic scientific record of what's happening here. So don't see it as that. See it as a picture with a message. What is God saying through this massive picture of destruction? He's saying, I will judge man. So what's with the thirds? Why a third of everything? There's a reason for that too. You see, the reason is it's not just whole-scale, chaotic, random devastation, but controlled judgment by God. There's more to this and I'll get to it. It shows the intensity of God's judgment which is increasing. But He's holding back. He's not pouring out His full judgment on the earth yet. That is to come. He's building up to it. It is controlled judgment. Warning men. Later when we get to the bowls, we'll see that all the land is affected, all the sea, the whole of the sun is affected. So the, the words are going to change. You're going to see no third there. Here is God's held back judgment. It's only partly shown. And immediately too, when you hear about the thirds and also with the soil that becomes unusable and the third of the trees, immediately we think of, and if you were a good Jew, you would think of what? The plagues in Egypt. All this destruction happening. That's the association in the Jewish mindset. The plagues in Egypt. Turn, you, you need reminding. All right. Exodus chapter 9. Everyone turn there please. Exodus chapter 9. Let's look at it. What did God say there? Exodus chapter 9 verse 23. And I'm just going to read a few of this so that you can just get a picture. 23 to 35. Then Moses stretched out his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder. Now note what's involved in the plagues, okay? The Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire. You got that yet? 
flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Restrained judgment, a third. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. There's the theme. Pick it up. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. There's another theme. Pick it up. It's in Revelation. The flax and the barley were struck down, but the, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emma were not struck down, for they are late in coming up for the farmers amongst us. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart. He and his servants pick up that theme. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Now, we've got that picture. This angel has blown his trumpet, and a third of the land is destroyed. So, in Egypt, did God... Did God bring these, these plagues on the people to get Pharaoh to let the people go? Was that the main reason? Anyone? No. No, it wasn't, really. No, it wasn't. It was to punish the hardness of heart. That was the first reason. The second reason, God wanted to show His omnipotence and power, both to the Egyptians and to his own people. They needed reminding. And that's why God hardens Pharaoh's heart. God did it. Scripture tells us. And thirdly, he wanted, to, he wanted this demonstration of the plagues to act as a prophetic foreshadowing of his judgment still to come against unbelievers, as is now being shown, culminating in the last judgment. And what is it all for? It's all for the same sin of hardness of heart which hasn't changed over all the generations of history and it still hasn't changed till today and it still won't change until Jesus Christ returns. The same thing. Hardness of heart, pride. God is dealing with it and saying, I am almighty and omnipotent God. You need to soften your hearts before me. And so he's still dealing with man in the same way. God hasn't changed he said, I'm the unchanging one. You human beings, you haven't changed. You've still got hard hearts before me. And nothing will change until Christ returns. Now, further notes in this, these, this verse 7, that not all the men were killed. Some still survived. So it can't be speaking of the day of judgment because we, you know that no wicked man will stand before the Lord in that day. And so, what is the point of it all? The point of it all is, of restraining his hand of judgment, is there is still time to repent. 
Man, come to me. My mercy is still shown to, to you in the midst of judgment. Come to me and repent. You see, God has always shown this mercy with judgment. The Tower of Siloam, and I, I don't have to refer you there, it's Luke chapter 13, verse 45. You can look it up. They asked him, Lord, who has sinned? These people, he said, no, they haven't sinned. It's happened so that you still have time to repent. When you see these judgments and disasters coming, it's a warning. There is still a greater judgment to come, so repent now while there is still time. Repent while you have time, says the Lord. However, we saw last week, or the week before rather, people don't want to repent. Their hearts are hardened by sin. And we haven't changed today. Among us sitting here are people who still will not believe because their hearts are hardened by sin. And I plead with you, by the mercy of Jesus Christ, He says, repent while there is time. Let's get to the second trumpet, otherwise we'll be here all day today. Second trumpet, verses 8 to 9. What does He say here? The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. He says something like a great mountain fell into the sea and the sea and everything in it was affected. So what's affected here? Not the land now but the sea. He's moving through these big picture things. And he says something like a great mountain. Now, it isn't a great mountain. It's, John is trying to put into words something that is hard to put into words. It's just this vision he's seeing. And so the closest he can get to it is, it's just something like a great mountain that fell into the sea. We're not told what it is and it doesn't matter. Again, it's symbolical language, apocalyptic writing. You see, mountains in the Old Testament were often used to represent nations. A nation. As an object of God's judgment. You know, you need to read Isaiah. You need to read Ezekiel, Zechariah. And then we also get fire. Well-known figure of judgment in the Old Testament. One instance only I'll give you for time's sake. Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 25. This is what the Lord says. And He's speaking about Babylon, that great evil city which was the bane of Israel's life. He describes them here as a destroying mountain which will be burned by fire. There's your two connections. Same imagery used here in Revelation. And we see that this trumpet not only affects nations, but it affects the sea and the creatures living in it. In other words, man's ability to harvest food from the sea. Because if you know anything about Israel, they do a lot of fishing there in the sea, in, the, in those Big lakes that they call a sea. And then a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the sea creatures died. Now, a third of the sea became blood. Immediately, if you're a good Jew, association, come on. The Nile. Plagues of in Egypt again. Alright. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12, is the next thing that the Lord points to. A third of the ships will be destroyed. I have to push on. What, is, what has this all got to do with it? Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12 to 17 says this. And look at this prophecy which comes true from God's word. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12. And pick up the thread now of what this trumpet is against. 
Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low, against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted trees, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, here it is, against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. There's the theme. Do you pick it up? The trumpet is blown, the second trumpet, and what God is saying is, by this trumpet, man and his pride will be brought low. And the associations he brings out through this picture was to John's readers and listeners. They knew exactly Egypt, Isaiah's prophecies. They knew God brought judgment against pride. And so I need to be warned. And so, no, it's not about the American fleet that will be destroyed one day and the Chinese fleet and the Russian fleet. And yes, they will be destroyed one day because God's going to burn the earth with fire. But that's not what this is talking about. It's a far greater thing. He will destroy proud mankind. That's what this trumpet is about. We need to see the picture. Third trumpet, verses 10 to 11. This is what it says. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So what's the third trumpet affect? It affects human life itself. This great burning star fell on a third of the rivers and the springs. What is that all about? The source of life. You can't live without those things. It fell on the source of human life. And if you know anything about the Jewish way of living, living among the heathen nations, the god Baal, the god Baal was there and he was the god of fertility. He was also the one worshipped because he was the one where life comes from. And so now God is affecting the very gods that the people worship, the spring of life in their eyes. And a third of the waters became wormwood and bitter. If you're a good Jew, what's the first thing that would jump into your mind now? Wormwood, bitter. Mara. What happened at Mara? There's only a few of us that know our Old Testament. What's happening here? Oh, we need to be preaching in the Old Testament. So what happened at Mara? Yes. That's right. The people complained out against God. And when they got to Mara, the waters were bitter. And then they really complained against God. And so instead of striking the people down as God was going to do, Moses came and pleaded before the Lord and the Lord made the waters sweet. He showed mercy in the face of judgment. Do you see the themes? It's beautiful to see all these things. But there's more than that. He's not speaking here about the Artemisia abyssinthia. My, my wife would really be impressed by this one because it's a scientific name for the plant wormwood. I know nothing about plants. I, I had to Google that one. And its oil was used to treat parasitic worms in the time of the Jewish people. And it's still kind of known for that today. 
and it's, but it's definitely known for its extreme bitterness. He's not speaking about that. He's speaking about the bitterness of God's judgment which comes on humankind. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 15 God's prophecy is spoken through the prophet Jeremiah against his people for their sin and their treachery and the resulting judgment he will bring on them of bitter food and poisonous water. See, even the prophet Jeremiah brings out this theme. And any good Jew, when they heard bitter, wormwood, they would know, Jeremiah, God warned us. You see the associations. And so, what is happening here? You see, even Ruth in the Old Testament had this association of Mara with bitterness. She says, and she was a Jew, in Ruth chapter 1 verse 20, she says, don't call me Ruth, but Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with me. There's a the connection. Do you see it all? God, what is God saying here? He's saying to them, I'm in control. I'm creator God. I will bring judgment on my own creation because of you, mankind. Your hearts are proud. I will bring you down. Don't look at your gods anymore. They are in my hands. I will destroy them. Fear God, he says, Revelation chapter 14 verse 7. Fear God and give Him glory because of the, the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Fear me, says God. That's a theme coming out through this trumpet. Now, you're all dying to hear, what about the star called Wormwood? I know, I can see you. What's the star all about? This has got a name, Wormwood. That's kind of unique in the Bible. Well, not really. It refers to the fall of Babylon. Isaiah chapter 14. Let's turn there. You might need to refresh your memories, I see. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 15. What does God say? How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Are you reading with me? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. God was in Isaiah prophesying against the great city of Babylon, which had set itself up above God's people. But later on, we also get explanations where this is a description of Satan who set himself up and who was a bright angel of light. But in his pride, he wanted to set himself up above God. And God brought him down. And any good Jew, when they heard this, your, the star's name is Wormwood, they would know, Babylon, Satan has fallen. And Babylon with him. Do you get the connection? I'm covering a massive lot of ground here. We can't do it all in this morning. And that's all I can say on it. And then we get to the fourth trumpet, and the last trumpet, where the heavens are now affected, or the universe is affected, Let's read that verse, verse 12. 
The fourth angel blew, blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the night might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Now you guys are experts in the thirds already so I'm not even going there. Alright. But what is God saying here? The land has been affected, the sea has been affected, the springs of life have been affected, the universe is affected by my judgment. In other words, there is no place to escape the judgment of God. Where will you hide? You might cry, as we've seen previously in the seals, rocks, hills fall on us, but that's not going to help you. God is right there. His judgment is right among you. Where will you escape? His judgment affects the very heavens of the, of the universe which He has created. He's affected the sun, the moon, the stars. They are all darkened. And immediately when you hear the word darkness, as a good Jew, what would the association be? We're back in Egypt. God brought darkness on the whole of the land except for a third of the place where the Jews were living. There was light. Imagine that. Darkness, 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 light. This is different. And so it is with God's judgment. He judges, but He's restraining His judgment. But when He does judge, everyone will know this is God at work. You see, the heavenly bodies are affected here, and it doesn't just happen here because it's in Revelation. It was prophesied, not just in Egypt, in Isaiah. I'm just going to read you a few selected verses. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9 to 10. This is what it says, way back before Revelation was written. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Pick up the themes here. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 7 to 8. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord. You pick it up. Amos. We don't often get there. Chapter 8, verse 9. And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Now what's the association? Come on, believers. What's the association? When Jesus was crucified on the cross, what happened? It became dark. And it shouldn't have been like that. It was very different. It was God intervening in His creation. God at work. And holding back His full judgment. But pouring out His judgment on His own Son. Mercy, judgment. I hope you get the picture. If you are not a believer, you need to come to Jesus Christ while there is still time. And if you're a believer, thank the Lord that He has saved you from His hand of judgment. 
If you thought this was bad, wait till next week. This, is, this church is all about judgment and damnation. No, it's not really. We're just speaking God's word. Come next week. Let's hear what God does. Because it doesn't stop here. The great day of the Lord is coming. I'm going to ask you three questions as we close. First one. What do we do with this today? I want to ask you this. Is your heart hardened against God? Judgment will come on sin. God is a holy God. We forget that. And He will not excuse sin. He will not excuse any sin. He will not excuse your particular sin. Don't harden your heart against God. Be reminded of this fact every time you feel the shaky aisles move beneath your feet. Every time you put on your television set and you see some great disaster, be reminded His judgment has already started, but He's holding back His full judgment. There's time to repent. Do I need to repent before Him? Second statement I'd make is this. There is still time to repent, but that time is limited. You see, God is judging the hardness of heart now, but His mercy is still available in greater measure to those who would repent or turn away from their sin and accept Jesus as their Lord. There will come a day, however, when His mercy towards unbelief will end. He says so. His mercy is limitless, but for a limited time. Hear His word today. Carpe diem, in the good sense of that, seize the day while there is still the day. But don't take it in the true sense of that meaning when it was said to just do stuff and don't worry about the future. Grab the day while there is still time. There is a future and God has it in His hands. And then lastly, if you're a believer here and there are many of you here this morning, I want to put this to you. When life comes against you, and it does, when stuff happens, when you get those reports that you don't want to read about, those medical reports, when family members are affected by death, sickness, when your loved one dies, remember, God has got even these things in His hands. He's refining you and I as believers for that day when we will stand before Him. But our reaction towards Him must not be a hardening of heart. I sadly hear of believers whose stuff happens against them and they blame God. And their hearts are, their hearts are hardened against them and they walk away. And they don't come to church. And they say, if this is God, why did He do this to me? He's refining us. He's a holy God. And in that day when He comes, He will wipe every single tear away. And He will bring you peace. But we need to just hold on and trust Almighty God. Who is in control? God is. I'll ask that again. 
And let's respond. Who is in control? God is. We need to tell my soul the greatness of the Lord. When life comes against us, He is in control. Let's pray. Oh God, when we read of all these judgments, may we not be overcome by them. But Lord, may we see You at work. May we see the hand of Almighty God who is restraining His judgment because You are a merciful God and there are still those who can still come. May we in response reach out with a gospel message to those around us, our friends, our family members, our colleagues, who still do not yet know Jesus Christ. May we reach out with the love and the gospel and the mercy that is available to them who would only come and meet Jesus Christ as their saviours. May we not fear man. May we not fear ridicule. May we not fear what people will think of us. But may we fearlessly go in the name of Jesus Christ and proclaim the name of Jesus until we hear and see you returning. Keep us faithful, Lord Jesus. Amen.